You are listening to a message from Thrive Community Church, a church located in Southwest Florida. For more info, visit us at thrive-fl.org. Thanks for coming today. Thanks for those who are here in worship today with us. It's great to see you all here, and thanks for those who are online with us today. Uh, We're starting a brand new five-part series called Stand, as you saw the video before. And at the end of that video was a photo that I took, um, well, I took off the internet. Um, Somebody needs to open the door, because Cody just went outside, so, all right. We're having fun this morning. Okay, so um, uh, it was taken from a photo of um, who was called the Tank Man. I don't know if you remember this. Back in um, 1989, June 5th, um, the day day of or the day right after the um, Tiananmen Square protests in uh, Beijing were being, um, the military just came in and just tried to wipe it all out. A man who looks like he came from the grocery store at the time, because he had bags in his hands, just gets out in the middle of the street and stands right in front of all the tanks that are going to come in and says, no, this is where I stand. And uh, we know nothing about him. After that picture, um, he was hustled away by we're not sure whom. If it was some of the democracy protesters or um, by the police, we're not sure. We've never heard of him before. He may be alive, he may not be alive, but I think his stand that day is a good um, kind of visual image as we start this series in the book of Daniel. So for five weeks, we're gonna explore the question of how do we stand? How do we stand firm? How do we stand up? How do we stand out? Um, When do we stand firm in the fire? Um, What does it mean to stand? What do we stand for? Why do we stand in the first place and what do we stand upon? Those are some of the questions we're gonna be asking. Um, And uh, we're going to be looking at the fact that for us today, that's a good image of what I think Daniel is getting after. Um, Right now, there are a lot of people who are taking a lot of stands in our society, and you've seen that this last week, but these stands are often just various versions of self-interest, egotism, and self-will. I'm going to stand up and get what, you know, that is not the way Daniel was at all. We're going to see a contrast today with the way that he stood out and stood up in Babylon to the way that some people, even Christians today, are doing it, and I think we're going to learn some wisdom from Daniel. So we're going to find out Daniel, as he was in Babylon, um, is a good model for how we can be in our culture today, because I don't know if you realize this or not. As I mentioned a few uh, weeks ago in a sermon on the prophet Daniel, we are right now in Babylon, Okay, Um, Bonnie Kirsten, I quoted her in an article that she had written in Christianity Today, and she said this, we're not headed to Babylon, we're already there. For American Christians, the United States is not our true home. Scripture insists that to be a Christian, by definition, is to be foreign to any earthly nation. America is no exception. I think that's an important distinction. We're not trying to create the new Jerusalem on earth, we realize that we are in Babylon. And it's not quite the same as Daniel, but there are some similarities and parallels. David Kinneman, in Barna Research, 
he has adopted a phrase for our version of Babylon today. He says, our culture right now is marked by unlimited access, profound alienation, and a crisis of authority. Does that sound about right? Unlimited access to almost anything you want. Alienation and a crisis in authority. He calls it digital Babylon. And then he writes, ancient Babylon was the pagan but spiritual, hyper-stimulated, multicultural, imperial crossroads that became the unwilling home of the Judean exiles, including the prophet Daniel in the 6th century BCE. Digital Babylon is not a physical space. It is the pagan but spiritual, hyper-stimulated, multicultural, imperial crossroads that is the virtual home of every person with Wi-Fi, a data planner, for most of us both. So you're experiencing it all the time. You're in the midst of a culture that's very different than what the Christian faith is. So how do we deal with this? Now, you might say, well, why should we stand out at all? I mean, why not just kind of go with the flow? Why not just kind of fit into society? And I, um, <laughs> there's a number of reasons. Because um, basic and fundamental is this. You were created for much more than what this culture offers you. Your deepest longings, your most fundamental needs as a human being is to be connected to God and to community. And that is all being choked out in a culture of binge-watching television, political news coverage, social media scrolling. So you don't even, with all of that going on all the time, you don't even know who you are what you are, why you are, where you are. And when things are not going your way, it's so easy to fall into anxiety or depression because it seems like the ground is moving underneath your feet. And today we're talking about the fact that you are grounded on the foundation of God's grace in Jesus Christ no matter what. And that's the place from where we stand in a culture that keeps shifting around us. David Kinnaman goes on to write uh, this in uh, his analysis of our culture. He says, many of us today turn to our devices to help us make sense of the world. Young people especially use the screens in their pockets as counselors, entertainers, instructors, even sex educators. Why build up the courage to have what likely will be an awkward conversation with a parent, pastor, or a teacher when you can just ask your phone and no one will be the wiser? But you know what? This is a terrible teacher and a lousy counselor and not much of a friend. I call it anti-social media because that's basically what we have seen happen with, quote, social media. It's all about competition. It's all about looking better than somebody else. It's all about the fake. I mean, how often have you put on, if you even use Facebook or something like that or Instagram, you put on a picture of what you just got up and looked like in the morning? You don't put on your worst issues or struggle. You put on your, the most dramatic, maybe, or the best or the most wonderful. The only time I put a lot of Facebook posts up, by the way, I was just as bad about this, was when my son and I did our father-son trip a few years ago to Europe. So I wanted to show everybody how much fun we were having. So every day I showed, look at where we are. That, that's not social. That's antisocial. I fell into it too. It was basically trying to one-up others. That's not community. That's not what you need. You don't need that kind of competition. And this is a lousy counselor. 
So, we're going to look in chapter 1 of Daniel today, and we'll be going through different chapters each week. And today we're going to learn these three things about what it means to be in Babylon and how we can stand out. And that is we need to stand discerningly like Daniel, to stand respectfully like Daniel, and to stand faithfully. So we're in Daniel 1, verses 1 through 7. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it, and the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace, and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And of the chief of eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. Did you notice in here, though, the name of the land was not Mesopotamia, as it was listed, but it was called the land of Shinar, which is kind of a signal to what Daniel is telling us about this place, because that comes up in the book of Genesis chapter 11 and elsewhere in the Bible. And John Goldengay mentions this in his commentary. He says that name, Shinar, especially suggests a place of false religion, self-will, and self-aggrandizement. Think of those three characteristics and think of our culture today. <laughs> False religion, self-will, self-aggrandizement. Isn't that a description of what you see going on all over the place? Yeah. So that's where they found themselves. And they found themselves in the midst of what Babylon would call their re-education system. That is, Daniel 1.5 says they were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. And so Daniel and his friends, they were trained for three years in Babylonian language, culture, religion, art, science. They were a very highfalutin culture compared to Podunksville, Judah, Babylon, was huge and amazing and cultured with thousands of years of learning in astrology and the sciences. So Daniel and his friends participated in that learning. And notice they didn't say, I'm not going to learn that stuff. In other words, they learned everything that the Babylonians had them learn. As Christopher Wright says it this way, they needed to know what the Babylonians believed. They didn't need to believe it themselves. There is surely a lesson there that speaks to the challenge of living as believers within secular culture. We need to understand the culture we live in without sharing its belief system. In other words, they stood discerningly. Now, I've observed um, within Christianity 
there's been a trend. You can read this through history in the United States, this kind of trend of anti-intellectualism. Anybody ever notice that within Christianity? Basically, drop your brain off at the door when you walk in. Don't think too much. And don't you get those highfalutin ways and start studying too much or making any, too many questions about things. And if you go to the university, you know that place is just terrible because all that learning will draw you away from God but not for Daniel and his friends. Did you notice that? It didn't happen that way for his Daniel or his friends, and it doesn't have to. No, I don't think that's a, that is a reactive stand that God doesn't make in the Bible about learning. It's based on fear, not on faith. Daniel would stand differently. He would stand with distinction, with uh, differentiation, as well as with discernment to know that these things is what, you know, the religion, the politics, all that stuff that they learned, they didn't have to believe, but they had to know it. In fact, they could understand the world and its subject matter better than anyone else. And by the end of the chapter, they stand out 10 times greater than the rest of those in Babylon who were trained. They excelled at this. So our first point is, we need to, in this culture, understand it and to stand discerningly, wisely, astutely. And secondly, to stand respectfully. And that's what we find out in verse 8 through 16. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord, the king, who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had signed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away the food, their food and wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. Okay, um, here we see Daniel stands respectfully. He didn't stand defiantly. He didn't say, you can take this pagan food and learning and stick it up your backside. Do you notice that? He didn't defiantly say, he asked, he didn't tell. He asked, he didn't tell. He was respectful, courteous, polite. He didn't take a stand that was defiant and obnoxious in itself. In but he did take a stand that the other Judahites, outside of his friends, probably they just assimilated into the rest and say, hey, this is, looks like good food. We'll just buy into it. Now, you might ask the question, why in the world in the first place did Daniel object to the food and wine of the king? Undoubtedly, one of the reasons is that it would be considered unkosher 
you know, by their ceremonial laws and their distinctions between Jews and Gentiles in that Old Testament time, the meat especially probably sacrificed to gods at some temple and then brought to them, and it would be considered unkosher, but possibly as well, eating meat and wine in Old Testament culture was a sign of festivities and celebration. And Daniel wanted to remind himself that he and his friends were in exile, in mourning. That they didn't quite always fit in. They wanted to make some type of a distinction. They wouldn't just assimilate into everything that Babylon had to offer them. They didn't consider themselves home. And thirdly, possibly, commentators say that it might be because when you get everything from the king, you're basically giving into everything that the king has. And that's why uh, Christopher Wright writes about this. They would serve the state under God, but they would not serve the state as if it were God. They would seek the welfare of the city where God had put them but they would not do what the king of the idolatrous patriotism that silenced all critique or questioning. So regardless, Daniel wanted to abstain as a way to avoid full assimilation into Babylon. He was going to stand distinct. He was going to stand respectfully. Recently in the United States, um, there have been a lot of Christians making some stands, and some pretty defiantly. Have you noticed that? assertively, obnoxiously standing up to the government for this reason or that reason, and they're acting as if that's the way to live. In fact, sadly, I saw signs, Christian signs, signs about faith in the midst of the riot this last week in Washington, D.C. Sadly. Now, these Christians would say, we are not going to assimilate into this world, and yet at the same time, with the way that they stood and how they stood, they were showing me that they already had assimilated into the ways of this world, into an egocentric, rebellious character that our culture has all over the place. You will not find the justification for what happened in the book of Daniel. You will not find that. Daniel is not a model of that at all. Yes, you can stand for your convictions, but you can stand so with respect. I mean, if, if I'm going to make a stand, I want to make sure it's because of the gospel and for the sake of Jesus Christ and his truth, but do so in such a way that the only thing that becomes offensive is that gospel truth and not me. So we stand discerningly, we stand respectfully, and thirdly, we stand faithfully. You know, trusting God, that's what it means to stand faithfully. And we read this, the rest of the chapter, Daniel 1, 17 to 21. As for these four youth, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams at the end of the time. When the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them before Nebuchadnezzar, and the king spoke with them. And among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. 
And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Fascinating. Three times in this chapter, you might not have meant, uh, seen it. I didn't point it out before the other two times, but they were there. First of all, in chapter 1, verse 2, it says, The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, that is Nebuchadnezzar's hand. Then in 1, verse 9, And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And then it's supposed to be 1 verse 17, as for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions. So what you find out is Daniel's not the center of the book of Daniel, nor are his friends, nor is Nebuchadnezzar, nor later on is Darius, nor anyone. It is God. God is the actor. God is the real point behind Daniel. You see, what God is doing is that God did not abandon them in exile. Though they had abandoned him, though they had turned their back on him, though they had been rebellious for 700 years, though they had mainly been worshiping idols and breaking every one of the commandments and every one of the parts of the covenant for hundreds and hundreds of years, and kings and priests and others were corrupt, and God had warned them again and again through the prophets and the prophets and the prophets again and again, and they wouldn't listen, they didn't listen. When they did get to Babylon, he did not abandon them. He didn't say... I'm done with you. I'm going to find another people that I'll at least be a little, you know. He didn't give up. He did not abandon them. He would not drop them. He still had his covenant faithfulness to them. In other words, God took a stand. And God allowed Daniel and his friends to stand. That's the real point. You're not alone. There are a million reasons why God should drop me. <laughs> I don't want to recount them all right now. There are a million reasons he should look at us as a church, as an organization, as a people, as a nation, and just say, you're on your own. You've been going down this road so long, you really don't want to listen to me, you just want to use me. But God does not abandon his people. God does not drop you. Like Israel, we might be unfaithful to God, but God is still faithful to his promises and to you. And that is your identity. It's what you can stand on. It's why it is so absolutely vital to be in God's word, to hear his promises, to be in communion with Jesus Christ, to have his spirit, because that's the only thing that makes me distinct from anyone else in this world. And it's not me. It is what God has done and what God has promised. He's brought me into his kingdom. He brought you into his kingdom. Through the waters of baptism, he placed his name on you and said, you are mine. He showed favor to you day after day. And he lives with you. He comes to you. His mercies are new every morning. And later we're going to celebrate during a Zoom the Lord's Supper in just a few moments. And when we do, we are having Jesus saying, I want to commune with you. I want to be one with you. I want to live within you. I want to be yours and you be mine. You might feel this culture has radically shifted away. And you would be right, but that doesn't mean God has left you or left us. What's fascinating to me is the story of Daniel says God has joined his people in exile. God himself 
goes into exile with his people. God is right here with us in the midst of all of this that's going on. Now, when Israel did come back, 70 years later, started to trickle back to the land of Judah, the exile, in a lot of ways, the rabbis would say later on, never really ended. They might be back on that piece of real estate, but it was never the same. They rebuilt the temple, but God's glory never filled it again. They never had another king. They never were really in charge of their land. They were still awaiting hundreds of years, and Daniel's prophecies would talk about this later on in this book. They would wait hundreds of years until finally God comes to them in exile in his own son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus is kind of like Daniel, but even greater. Because Jesus himself stands before the powers that be in his day, the representative of Caesar himself. He took a stand before both Caiaphas, the high priest, but also Pontius Pilate. And there, Jesus stood both definitively, wisely, respectfully, faithfully. But unlike Daniel, who was delivered, whom God showed his favor, who had his hand on him and protected him from the mouths of lions, his friends from the fiery furnace, Jesus Christ would experience the vicious mouths of human beings and the curse of God himself and the fiery trials and all of hellish torment upon the cross. It's the one time, the one time, God abandoned his own son so that he'd never abandon you. Jesus is the better Daniel who lives that flawless, loving, wise life, who takes the stand, who shows courage in a culture that had actually wandered away from God and was using God's rules against God. But in so doing, Jesus opens up the grace of God upon which you can stand. That you know there is no place, no time, No space, no instance where you will ever be left alone. Jesus is always there with you, no matter the exile, no matter the location. You know? So basically, it's kind of time to stop. Where did I put it? Looking at your screen for your uh, validation. For your direction, for your identity, for what other people think. It's time maybe like Daniel and his friends, to stand on the one firm thing, God's promises, God's grace, God's presence in your life. And this culture needs you to do that because this culture is just drowning in anxiety and depression and anti-community issues, anti-social things that are going on. It needs us to serve and to love and to give, to stand as Daniel did, to serve as Jesus did, to love as God has loved us. So stand we will. Let's pray, shall we? Lord Jesus, this day, we thank you for the beginning of this series. We do pray right now for our nation. 
Oh, we saw such, Lord God, <laughs> such confusion, such lawlessness, such self-will, such self-aggrandizement the last few weeks, Lord God, and such, uh, such a mess. Lord, the best of us <laughs> have wandered from you. Forgive us. We ask, especially within your church, Lord, where we have seen a lot of confusion over many issues, Lord, that you'd give us wisdom and clarity, that we would understand like Daniel, how we can stand, how we can stand with true discernment, with respect, and with faith. Lord God, we do pray for your peace in our nation and to heal this land. And we pray for your church to be an example of what it means to be peacemakers, to speak truth in love to our neighbors, to serve, to be kind, gracious, Lord God, that we would exemplify this, Lord, that we would be known because of our love for others, just as you were, Lord Jesus. We pray, Lord God, that um, we would not be assimilated into the culture that we are living in, Lord, a culture of extreme selfishness and almost anti-community in ways of such hyper-individualism. We pray, Lord, instead that you would make us as a small uh, fellowship, but one that grows, Lord, in the depth of our relationships and friendships with one another and how we can serve each other. And in that light, Lord, we lift up some uh, specific needs this day. We lift up to you the Blankenship family. We celebrate with them and we grieve with them. We celebrate that Andy now is with you, Lord. She was such a model of faith. She handled so much suffering, Lord, through her clinical trials, through her surgeries, through this cancer, Lord. And we know she's at rest. She's with you. She is no longer in pain, and we thank you for that. We pray now, Lord, the pain and the agony that we feel personally at that loss, and that Jeff, her husband, and her children, Joshua, Jacob, and Katie feel, and her family, extended family, Lord, feel, Lord, that loss, Lord. We would just offer it to you. We ask that you would work through it, that you give us hope in the midst of our grief, and that you would help us at Thrive to be the family um, that does grieve and also, Lord, to celebrate with them and will be with them for the long haul that we're going to stick together through these things, Lord. And you are right there with Jeff, with all of them, Lord, in the midst of their pain and exile and mourning. Lord God, um, we lift up our community. We pray that you would um, truly expedite and give wisdom and guidance to our medical community, to our health department in this county and in this state, Lord, and across this nation, that you'd grant wisdom and patience, but also prudence, Lord, in, in the distribu uh, distribution of this vaccine, as well as the care in these hospitals, Lords. We know our hospitals are filling up right now. We ask that you'd be with all those, the doctors, nurses, orderlies, everyone who is working there, Lord, that they may uh, truly be sustained by your grace, and they may know of our support, your support, and that you are with them and by their side. Lord God, as a new semester begins, as a school is back in session, 
We pray, Lord God, that you'd be with all college students at FGCU and elsewhere, with our high school and grade school around this nation, with the teachers and instructors, Lord, that you would guide them in this semester with so much that has gone on, Lord, and with learning kind of more difficult under our circumstances. We pray, Lord, that we still grow in the knowledge and wisdom as, as, um, as Daniel and his friends grew, Lord, that um, our children and we ourselves would keep growing to understand to be in this world, Lord, but not to be of this world. Lord God, we thank you for all of these things. We thank you, Lord, that you've given us um, the goodness of your son, Jesus Christ. And he not only gave us his goodness and grace, he not only modeled the way to live, He also comes alongside of us and prays with us and guides us and directs us in our prayers as well, Lord. And your spirit also prays with groanings too deep for words for so many situations in our nation. So, Lord, we come together in the words that Jesus taught us to pray. And we pray together, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.